When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Today's episode is one I went back into the archives for, something from our first 200 episodes. We're on about 1250 right now. Uh, so we've come a long way. But that season, it was our first in-season for the podcast. We had Terry Shea, who is an NFL consultant right now, does a lot of draft consulting, especially with quarterbacks. A longtime coach, coached uh, a number of teams, was a head coach at college, in college football, was a coordinator in the NFL. And so in this one, we talk about next man up. And throughout the series, Coach shares some great stories, ideas, things he's done talks about other coaches he's worked with. I think it's one you're going to enjoy, and we'll share more of these with Coach Shea throughout the season. So here's our episode with Coach Shea, Next Man Up. And a segment that we're running throughout the season with our guest host, Coach Terry Shea, The Game Plan. And our topic today is going to be Next Man Up. Coach Shea, it's great to be back with you here on the podcast. It's great to be with you, Keith, and I'm looking forward to today's topic. Coach Shea and I probably should have looked for the next man up on this podcast. Both he and I have head colds, so you're going to hear that a little bit in here. But we're going to talk today about an important topic as we're right in the middle of the season. It begins to affect a lot of teams as players wear down, injuries happen, and you have to have that next group of players ready. So we're going to talk about some strategies for getting those guys ready and probably no position more important than that quarterback position. Coach, we'll, we'll start with the quarterbacks and talk about some ideas on how do you get those guys ready to step in and do the job if they're called upon. Well, you know, most teams at all levels have two to three quarterbacks on their roster. And I remember a long time ago, I think Woody Hayes, the old Ohio State coach, once said, if you have to use your second-team quarterback, you're probably going to lose anyway. So I've always remembered that because I've always felt like, well, if that's even close to being accurate, then as a coach, you're, you're really behind the eight ball. And I always wanted to make sure that for the most important position on the field, the backup quarterback would not go in and necessarily lose the game for you or give yourself less of a chance to win. So that might be the most important position. You might call him the 12th man. And you've got to make sure that however you approach practice, however you approach your meetings, you include the backup quarterback and, for that matter, that young third-team quarterback. So 
What I'd like to do today, Keith, is share with the audience something that I observed with an NFL quarterback who happened to be the backup quarterback at the Kansas City Chiefs for a while. But not only that, this young man went on to play 14 years in the NFL and primarily as a backup role. But what I learned from him was that he was very strong in his belief that taking mental reps was the most important thing for the second quarterback or even, for that matter, the third quarterback. He would he would oftentimes watch the position as the starting quarterback took the snaps, and he would move himself around and back and forth, and pretty soon I started to turn and try to give him coaching points, and he'd be in a different spot watching the next series of plays. And so finally I approached him and I said, now, why do you keep moving around like that? And he says, well, I, I do that, Coach, to keep my concentration level as high as I can, and it also eliminates distractions from other players coming up to me during the course of practice and starting to talk to me about things not related to my position. So that's what he was doing as he approached every practice as the backup quarterback. He would get those mental reps. And then I would find him going off to some part of the practice field after everyone had gone in, and he had taken a backup receiver, and he had basically scripted in his mind five or six plays that he knew were very important to the offense. So he actually ended up throwing routes based on which those five or six plays were. So he would always try to do that every day after practice with the idea that if he got tapped on the shoulder and it was his turn to go in, he would be ready to run this week's offense. That's a great experience that I profited from with this backup quarterback at the NFL level. Coach, I think with those guys, obviously the mental reps are important, but it's exactly as you talked about there. He really needs to be tuned into that process. He has to understand the importance of his role, and while he may not get those reps in the game, he has to be ready at a moment's notice. Now, in looking at that position, Coach, what was ideas that you would have in terms of how much offense would would you start to throw at that guy? Let's say he had to get into the game. Was the expectation that he was going to handle the whole game plan, or were you able to tune into some things that maybe he would do best or you felt most comfortable or he felt most comfortable doing? One process that I always did every week as a play caller is that I would, let's say your game is on Friday night. So on Thursday, maybe right after practice, I would bring the quarterbacks into a a private room and we would have each quarterback fill out a form that basically asked them, what plays do you feel best about in this week's game plan? What's your favorite red zone play? What's your favorite third down play? What's your favorite starter play, meaning first and 10, how do you want to get the drive started? So each quarterback filled out this form. And so as a play caller, you got a chance to understand what plays to call for that backup quarterback if he had to enter the game when the game was still in the balance. Yeah, I kind of went through a similar process myself with my quarterbacks, and essentially I would have kind of a plan B game plan, a list of things that I would call if I had to put that particular player in the game. Now, you know, in looking at things, obviously at the NFL level, it's a little bit different than high school and even college. I mean, your guy's going to go in and he's going to play. You're not going to see a situation where 
quarterbacks are rotated. But I think one of the best I've ever seen at preparing their second quarterback at the college level is Larry Karras over at Mount Union. And he would always play his second quarterback at meaningful times. And certainly with Mount Union, those guys could expect to get quite a bit of mop-up time because they were so good. But at the same time, Coach would insert those guys in the second quarter, for example, when the game was still in question and they hadn't pulled away where the score was close. He was always sure to get those guys involved early on. What are your thoughts on doing that type of thing, and how do you think it's best pulled off at the high school level? Well, I I think that's a, a very novel approach for the Mount Union coach, and you're right. They probably had insurmountable leads at times, whereas that backup quarterback got lots of work. But I would choose, if you were to try to borrow that kind of approach, I think sometime in the second quarter would be the best opportunity to insert your backup quarterback. And the game is not necessarily won or lost in the second quarter. I believe many times that the game can be won or lost in the third quarter when you come out after halftime. But I think the second quarter is the safest period of time. I know I did that in several all-star games that I coached, and that seemed to work very well. And it's not bad for the starter to observe for a, a series from the sideline. Sometimes he can see the bigger picture that way. I think there's merit to that approach. And that would be my suggestion in terms of the second quarter. The other approach I've used myself, and this was when I was the offensive coordinator at Baldwin-Wallace University, was I had a quarterback, our number two quarterback, was distinctly different from our number one. And while we recruited at BW, being Division three, we didn't always necessarily have the ability to find a group of players really at any position that fit a specific profile, where obviously in the NFL you're going to build to your system in in college where you're scholarshiping players, you're going to recruit to your system 100%. At the Division three level, it's much like high school. You, you're going to get the best athletes you can get, but sometimes they don't fit. Well, this particular quarterback was a wildcat type of guy for us in terms of he would come in and really focus more on the run game. He would throw passes. In fact, he would surprise people because they thought he was just coming in to run, but He had the ability to throw passes, but his skill set and really what he could do was run the football very effectively, which allowed us to utilize an additional blocker. And it actually allowed us to utilize some different receivers as well, because that's when we kind of got our bulkier, stronger receivers in who maybe were better run blockers. And at times we would utilize those guys within that package as well. So it served to, just in that one package, get a lot of number twos ready to go. That was another approach that I had used was to find opportunities for something that that number two can do very well and come in and execute maybe at a better level than the number one guy can. Oh, I I think you're absolutely correct. The evolution of the Wildcats, you see that often on television in the college game. You see the insert of a backup quarterback who is like you, you described a Wildcat quarterback. I think some of the parameters that a coach should adhere to when he wants to enter his backup quarterback for a series of playing time is you've got to pay close attention to the field position game. You don't want to insert your backup quarterback when you're on your minus four yard line coming out. So 
the game situation sometimes can give you the parameter that you need to play your backup quarterback. And you got to be very sensitive to the fact that if your starter is really capturing the momentum of the game and he's playing at a very high level, to take him out for a series, even though the plan was to bring in the backup quarterback, you may have to abort that plan if your starting quarterback is on a roll. Either way you do it, if you're going to want to play your backup quarterback, you want to make this known to your quarterbacks and, for that matter, to your team so that it's not a surprise. It doesn't look like the coach has been placed into a panic mode or anything that would demonstrate that kind of an uneasiness with your offense. So it's important that you let your offensive guys know and your two quarterbacks or your three quarterbacks, okay, here's our plan. Just remember now the plan could change based on game situation, but we plan to insert our backup quarterback in in the fourth series of the game or whatever it might be so that your offense has a heads up on that. I think communication is so essential when it comes to juggling your two quarterbacks. Yeah, definitely. It's a position that has to be handled differently than any other. And in fact, at other positions, probably other than the offensive line, coaches are more apt to play their two deep. You want your receivers running at 100% the whole game. And I know at the college level, we would always look at what was the optimal number of reps for each player to play because it's something we could spot on game film when their production would start to drop off that maybe you could call it conditioning, but I think each of those guys has a physical capability where after too many reps, especially in a row, their ability to run at full speed, play at full speed every single play starts to diminish. So for most of our receivers, they would have a cap on how many plays we're going to play in, which allowed us to get our number twos in. I know our defensive coaches would play their two deep on defense and really the only other group where we might rotate one or two guys in the course of a game would be the O-line, but that's the next group you got to look at is how do we develop that group and get them playing time, inserting that next guy. And for me, it was always like, who is the, who's really the sixth man? Who's the next best offensive lineman we could get in the game? And that was the guy we were going to use. So, Coach, with that in mind, what was your approach to those other positions I mean, getting guys ready to play, whether it was offense, defense, offensive line, getting guys ready to play in those positions? Well, I, I want to borrow something that I learned from Dick Vermeil when I was coaching with Coach Vermeil at the Kansas City Chiefs over the five years. His approach was don't wait till game time. You've got to develop those backup players and those number two players during the practice week. And uh, he always felt like you, you built a team from the bottom up, meaning you were only as strong as some of your bottom half players. So what he was able to do in his ability to reach that objective was he increased the practice reps. And that meant more time on the practice field. For some of those NFL guys under Coach Vermeil, they didn't necessarily care for that. But he was very stubborn, very strong in his belief that if you're going to get your backup guys ready, you've got to get them practice reps. And consequently, in order to do that, you have to increase the practice time. You might increase your inside run period, another five plays. You might increase your team period, another 10 plays. And all along, your backup players now are getting 30 to 40 more reps during the course of the week 
and they're more prepared to play at a higher level. I think that's what discourages coaches from using their backups sometimes, Keith, is that the execution and the performance level drops off, but you have a better chance of making that happen in a positive way if you give your guys more practice opportunities. So that's something that I would encourage all the coaches to adhere to. And even if it means 15 more minutes of practice time on Tuesday and Wednesday, that's the way you get your backups really ready to play. And and the confidence level grows with that. I know something we talked about in our first podcast when you joined us on on the show and we were focused a little bit more on quarterback play was the ability to use technology today to get some of those reps for our players in addition to what we're doing on the field. And virtual reality is playing a big part. And this summer as I went around to a few NFL facilities in their team rooms, I would see those things. I'd see the Oculus headset there and know that these guys were doing some work with virtual reality. The Colts actually have a simulation room, which looks like a small theater with turf down in it. So they actually will get in there and and perform in virtual reality. So there's a lot of opportunities in this past year, in 2016, with the offensive line I had, a very, very young group, mostly freshmen and sophomores, what we would do is I got them in the racquetball court. I put a projector up top right down there, and it would project a defense, a virtual defense out in front, and those guys would work. And in 15 minutes, we'd get about 60 reps in of all the different pass stunts, rushes, blitzes we were going to see, and those guys would get used to picking them up. I'd have both first and second group units set up, And those guys would go through and learn that way. It wasn't a very physical period, but we talked about the importance of mental reps. And I think it's a huge asset to teams today to look to do what they can with virtual reality, with things off the field to get their mental reps. Oh, you're on the right track. Just imagine five years from now how much more available those kinds of technical improvements will become available for the high school ranks as well so yes that's a great that's beyond my time right there (laughs) well the the best part about that coach is there's there's an application friends of usa football go army edge which is absolutely free to the coach and it's as simple as using a program like playmaker pro or any basic play diagramming tool and then it actually renders these madden like characters into play and they're animated and your players see them and they're very realistic looking and that's just improving i saw to i guess maybe get a little bit off track but in this topic i saw this past year at afca i put on these goggles and i could see everything in the room it was like sunglasses but what was also appearing there for me was an offense and a defense and i was running through these plays in augmented reality where those characters can appear actually out on the field and the quarterback could be out there by himself and feel like he's in a play. Just amazing some of the things that are available to coaches today. Oh, I, no doubt. And I've actually seen a couple of those quarterback-enhanced technology concepts. And, and boy, like I said, Keith, just think where we'll be five years from now, ten years from now, and all this is very much an integral part of the process of getting players ready to practice and getting them ready for games. Keith, I'd like to go back to one other aspect with the coaches, and that is in dealing with the quarterback 
and if you have to tap into your backup quarterback, one aspect of the game that has to be addressed and covered and practiced is if you use your backup quarterback because of injury or because of whatever issue you've chosen to insert your backup, probably what's going to take place at some point is at the end of the game, that backup quarterback will be asked to win the game for his team. And sometimes it comes in the form of a two-minute drill. So when you're practicing your two-minute drill during the, the practice week, always give yourself plenty of time to practice a second series of plays and allow the backup quarterback to actually get that experience. Because it may not happen that immediate week, but if four weeks from down the road your backup quarterback has gotten that kind of practice time in a two-minute drill each week, then he's going to give your team such a better chance to win. If there were one phase of the game when it comes to game situations, make sure your backup quarterback is ready to perform in a two-minute drill to help you win a game. Absolutely. That's probably a great point. And we had talked about the two-minute drill weeks ago, and I'm not even sure we brought that up, but definitely something I've always employed as well was getting that number two his reps in that two-minute drill in the last plays. I think the other side of this, Coach, we've talked a lot about the technical and the strategic way to handle this, but there's the human side of this as well. And as we're in mid-season now, or as coaches progress through late season, you have to be, I think, conscientious of that because those players who had their ability to get the butterflies out in you know week one and maybe build that confidence over the course of several games. You're sticking a new player in at any position. He's back to that week one mentality. And as a coach, I think you have to address that. You have to be conscientious that that player is going to need a little something from you, from his teammates, in order to go in the game and gain his confidence that he's playing with the first unit. Without a doubt, I have a personal experience to this topic of discussion, Keith, and that is I went from a high school All-American quarterback status to the third quarterback at the end of the bench in college. And boy, your confidence level dissolves quickly. So consequently, how you're handled by your coach or your position coach or your head coach is so very important. And not just the quarterback position, any position where you find yourself at the end of the bench for whatever reason, and then you're asked to go into the game You just have to have that injection of confidence, and that has to come from the coaching staff. So it's so important to measure the morale of the team. And oftentimes, as Bear Bryant once said, the morale of your team is only as strong as the the last man on your bench. And, boy, you've got to make sure you keep those guys involved mentally. You keep those guys involved emotionally. And somehow you find a way to inspire their confidence among their peers. And whether it's at the end of practice, you acknowledge the fact that your backup offensive right tackle had a heck of a practice today, or somehow you bring those kind of players to the forefront in front of their teammates, and now you've got a chance to keep their confidence level at a point where, hey, you can go in that game anytime and you can play at a very high level. 
Absolutely. Well, Coach, you, you shared some great points today and some great stories. Obviously, mentioned some great people within there as well. And I think coaches today really have to pay attention to the other guys in their program. They really have to be developing them all the time. We're in a society where there's all kinds of choices for these guys. It's not like when I grew up, you had sports. That's what you did. And now there's all kinds of different things. There's all kinds of different sports these guys could get into. But to make sure you really make those guys part of the process and, like you said, find ways to inspire their confidence, find ways to bring them up in the course of a practice. And that takes a lot of thought to make sure that you're not just living in the moment, that you're thinking ahead as a coach as well. Oh, with, without question, the coach has to stay one play ahead of his players. And in order to do that, you have to make sure you take advantage of the moments during the practice week where you can highlight certain players that don't necessarily get the attention. And now you're building your team. I mentioned already Dick Vermeil felt like he had to build a team every year from the bottom up. And if you take that approach, I think you're going to be so much better toward the middle of the season and toward the end of the season when you need that critical win because you've built your team from the bottom up. And some of those players are now making critical contributions to the success of your team. Coach, thanks again for taking the time, especially feeling under the weather a little bit. Get well this week, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Great. I will, and I wish all the coaches great success this weekend. As I said, some great information there from Coach Shea. Great stories, and we'll bring some more of these to you throughout the in-season here on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Check out all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com, and follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski. 